As I said at the end of the sitting, I so enjoyed having the opportunity to sit with everyone tonight, and I really thought of of mission dharma and environments like this as as little bastions or sanctuaries of sanity in this uh, heaving world with with just so much transparent now um, ill will and it's just coming it's it's this big open sore everything has just come out of the woodwork and the haters and the and the just the language and the the freedom for people to just troll each other on the and just just so much um, so much challenge to our sense of well-being and our sense of safety and just the level of racism on and it's just shocking on one hand and yet it is human beings being human beings basically the world is the way it is because people are the way they are and so we we have to find a way to sit in the middle of it uh, and not have ultimately if we want to truly be free and that's really the the invitation and the promise of the of wisdom teachings or awakening teachings like the Buddha's that uh, that it is possible to develop the capacity not just for oneself but for everyone's benefit to find a an unshakable balance an unshakable peace a sense of freedom, a sense of well-being that does not depend on the circumstances that one finds oneself in or the world that one finds themselves in. And the capacity to, it's a very hopeful teaching in that, that it reminds us that we, that we have within us the uh, capacity to, uh, to orient our our lives, our minds, our bodies to to a a sense of uh, a sense of what we call in the teachings equanimity. I had three. I I did a survey before this evening of the different people who I made contact with, and I said, "Give me a one-word topic for tonight." And the first person that I asked said, "Peace." The second group that I asked said equanimity. The third little, the third person I spoke to said resilience. And these really come together, both peace and resilience come together in this beautiful teaching from the Buddha about what he considered the, the culmination of the path of awakening the culmination of the opening of our heart, the culmination of the training and the purifying of our our actions, our thoughts, our words, this quality of equanimity is considered the gateway to nirvana. In some ways, you could say essential to both uh, the awakening to what we call the unconditioned, the deathless that lives in us, 
that is beyond life and death, that lives as the very nature of our minds, as well as to the quality that allows us to sit in the middle of whatever our life circumstance. So I thought I would talk about maybe peace, equanimity, and resilience tonight a little bit. I just finished leading a retreat at Spirit Rock, and there are many people in the room who just came off of that retreat. And we have functioned for many years as a kind of halfway house, (laughs) a place for people to remember that, yes, even in the city there are people who who are like-minded, who want to mirror to you your values, who also have an intention to create in their lives inner and outer safety, and those who want to, who have, who explicitly want to promote in their lives and in the lives of others health and strength, well-being, and equanimity. And so I want to welcome those who just came off retreat, but Something about this retreat, it was very, it was, of course, when you're at a beautiful place like Spirit Rock and the conditions are so supportive to, to be able to just unwind, to let the onion peel and let the, let the underlying tensions begin to release, the underlying moods and emotions begin to liberate themselves in the, in the openness and the kindness of our practice. It gives, at least as a, from the teacher's side, it gives me such confidence that at the root of everyone, every person, and you can actually feel it palpably increase over the course of the time there, regardless of the fact that the place is generally peaceful, but you can feel a field of peace growing. And it's not as though people are creating peace there. People are dropping into the natural peace and ease that is the natural peace and ease of our minds. That, it, it, that our mind intrinsically, our hearts intrinsically, at the root of everything in this world is peace, really. Silence. And it is not, um, it's, it's really, in some ways, a split second away. And the kind of peace I'm talking about is not just a peaceful mood. It's a peace that can even pervade a very unpeaceful mood, that can even pervade a very busy mind. That it's often our unbusy, often our unbusy moods and our busy mind sometimes obscures that we have within us this natural, as the Tibetan teacher Noshul Ken calls it, natural great peace. One of his famous utterances, he said, rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought. Like the relentless fury and the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Samsara meaning endless wandering, endless searching, endless being in an endless state of lack which is often our mind's conditioning. It often obscures this natural peace. 
So it's so gratifying to see and so confidence-producing and faith-inducing to actually see if, if conditions are such that, that people can get, can get to know this peace, then it's po- often people, for many people, it's possible. Even one little taste of this kind of peace, it can then be referred to wherever you go, whatever you're doing. And of course, the whole point of practice is that it's portable. But often our mind is so preoccupied with the search, with the search for the next thing. Someone was, I was at a meeting today and we were talking about language and the conversation went to the, the way that certain words are, the ways that certain objects are described in different cultures. Now the word for, I'll just share two of them because I can't remember the third one, but the hands on a watch, they say in, or when you see a watch, you know, the, the movements in the watch and the, the second hand going around, here we say the watch is running. And in the, in, I think in Spanish, I may be wrong, maybe there will be others who would, that it says the, the watch is walking. And just this little thing shows us the, t- the degree to which we are entranced by our, the way we think about things. And often our thinking is all about running. It's all about running after. It's all about moving fast. It's all about busy. It's all about rushing the mental states that tend to make it hard to remember that peace even exists and that it's the natural state of your own mind. So we do have a lot of conditioning that we have to contend with. And the only issue, even though we all share this kind of culture, so we're all running, so it's it's as though we're generally all going the same speed. (laughs) It seems, though, that that one of the effects of, of, of running is that our body becomes very tense. Our bodies become tense, and when our bodies become tense, our minds become much more active, our our discursive thoughts. When our minds are more active, they tend to start looking for solutions about how to make the body less tense. But the body is so uncomfortable to be with and that the last place we look is to stop and feel the tension, to sit in the middle of it all, that the way out is in or back to ourselves. So our mind starts looking out. And the Buddha so beautifully spoke about the necessity that we take a look, that we open our senses. And in order to open our senses, we have to be here. We can't be there. We can't be on our way somewhere to really see our world, our life, the way it is. And in order to actually... to actually live in harmony with reality in order for us to 
meet our life wisely and hopefully lovingly, we have to be able to see reality as it is. Otherwise, our, our thoughts and our actions are often in, in reaction to what we see. We're reacting. And we're reacting out of the same kind of love of happiness and peace. We all have that. It's the universal... Actually, I, I, I've been mentioning this several times lately. The Dalai Lama says the purpose of life is to be happy. And the universal shared desire to be happy and to be free of suffering. So everybody has that. But, but most are just moving too quickly to, to realize that natural peace. So the Buddha said, stop a little bit. Stop and look around. As that poem that I often read from David Budbill says, we're just like bugs in a bowl. All day, going around our bowl, spinning around, climbing up the sides, falling back, climbing up again, falling back. And then we get so exhausted, head in our hands, we cry, we moan, we feel sorry for ourselves. He says, why not stop, look around, see your fellow bugs, Say, hey, how you doing? Say, hey, nice bowl. But no, we don't, we don't do that very often. And when we do, as I said about this weekend, when we do, when you do, and it's not always, the form doesn't have to be going to Spirit Rock. That's a wonderful privilege to be able to do such a thing. Such a blessing and such wholesome karma, such amazing fruit because there are so many places in this world and even people in this world who may not be able to find their way so easily to a place like Spirit Rock. And you know, part of our aspiration is to make that place, make this place accessible to everyone and let everyone feel invited and, and comfortable and mirrored. And, but nevertheless, it's at this point, it's not everybody's coming to sit here, not everybody's going to Spirit Rock, but, but it's not so much about the place. It's about that following that yearning that everyone has, but instead of following it outward toward the, what I call the imagined future, toppling, toppling forward all the time, bit running to that future, that never arrives, that keeps us on that little narrow pathway, very narrow-minded obsession with almost a maniacal ex um, obsession with the next thing. Several people came into meetings on retreat. You know, here it is that we're, we invite everyone on the retreat, say, okay, a moment at a time. You're not going anywhere. You do your walking meditation. You don't take a walk, except for sometimes during the day. You don't take a walk. You walk to and fro, so you're reminded that the whole point is arrived at it in the step that you're taking. And yet, many people came into their meetings saying, gosh, I see that I'm constantly looking for the next thing. Constantly, I mean, walking to get to the end of the pathway. I'm sitting to get to the end of the sitting. 
I'm eating to get to the end of the lunch, to get to my rest period. I'm resting in order to get back to the... And does anybody relate to this in your daily life? This is just the, this is the condition of our culture and the tendency of mind. So the Buddha said, you've got to stop. Somewhere in the span of your life, you've got to stop and take in the reality. And what you'll discover will be it's so obvious and it's so, um, it's so realistic, it's just the way it is, but you'll find that life, for anyone who's living it, is in a constant state of flux. It's changing all the time. It's dizzying how things are changing. And it is um, very unstable, very unreliable, the changing conditions of life. And everybody, all seven billion of us, will be replaced within a hundred years. We all die. And you will see that if, you're, if you take a look at your life, you sometimes get what you want. Sometimes you'll want what you get, but often you won't want what you get and you won't get what you want. That's what you'll find here. And life, if you're born, has within it feelings of angst, feelelings of, uh, that, of unsatisfactoriness because of the incessant change of things. It's hard to rely on any conditions that you find yourself in your life. That's what you'd find at first. And that may be a little shocking. To the Buddha, that was incredibly shocking. He experienced this, this almost shock and dismay at the futility that he saw of finding something that would be stable, at least externally. And it just, it made him reflect on what have I been, how have I been searching my whole life? How have I been searching for relief? I've been searching for relief in things that can't give me that. I was searching for it in in pleasures. I was searching in trying to become somebody special, in being praised, in being successful, in having only pleasure, only gain. But these things are unstable in this world. And so his later teaching says, just open to this. Otherwise, your life is an endless running from this truth. And we don't want to, and as long as we keep running, it not only, it doesn't change the inevitable, but it actually adds to the inevitable with a lot of mental suffering. Because with that running comes a reactive mind that says, when it, things are pleasant, I want more of it. I want to hold on to it. When it's unpleasant, our mind pushes things away. Do you experience any pleasant in your life? Do you notice that you want to hold to it? Do you experience any unpleasant? Do you ever blame, judge, rail, attack, 
seek revenge, complain. What else? How, what are the other forms of reactivity? Anybody give me a few? What's that? Irritation, avoidance, withdrawal. Unfortunately, these reactions, although they are born of love for ourselves and an attempt to find relief, have keep us in an endless state of running, an endless state of wandering, trying to find some kind of relief that only increases the disease. And of course, you hear over and over here on Tuesday night that I talk a lot about the you know, we live in this, we live in the uh, world of the <laughs> massive consumer machine. Its whole point is to keep us greedier, to keep going. And, you know, just feeds off of, of a, an anxiety that um, that just makes us so dissatisfied. So the Buddha recognized that our way of seeking relief just adds to our burden. And with this way of seeking relief, he, he gave a, a recipe, or he gave a, a prescription. He said, let go. Let go. Stop. Sit in the middle of your life. Let go into the river of life. Enter into the stream of life with a relaxed mind and an open heart. Let go. Here's what the the Hopi elders said there is a river flowing now very fast it is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid they will try to hold on to the shore they will feel they are being torn apart and they will suffer greatly know the river has its destination the elders say we must let go of the shore push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open, our heads above the water, see who is there with you, and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey come to a halt. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we've been waiting for. So essentially, at least this last line reminds me that we must come back to ourselves. To not go out of ourselves in search. To keep our head above water. See who we're here with and let go. But be settled. Have our minds settled in our body. 
And it is this settling in our body, just as the Buddha did. He settled his mind into his body, and he developed through that habit of not going out, of having his attention in the same location as his body. He developed a sense of calm. He developed a sense of one-pointedness. And in some ways, it's not even fair, as I said earlier, to say he developed it. He reclaimed it. He reclaimed the natural peace and calm that is the natural peace and calm of our minds. But he did it by staying here. And we can do it by staying here. And it doesn't mean just on the cushion. Wherever you go, there you are. Utilizing this this body. This body is the Buddha. This very place, as Hakuin Zenji says, this very place, the lotus land. This very body, the Buddha. I'll read from Hakuin Zenji. I had it covered tonight. I said, all beings by nature are Buddha, as ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there's no ice. Apart from beings, no Buddha. Remember, Buddha means awake. How sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Like someone in the midst of water crying out in thirst, like a child of a wealthy home wandering among the poor, lost on dark paths of ignorance. We wander through the six worlds from confusion to confusion. When shall we be freed from this cycle of birth and death of our minds? O meditation, to this the highest praise, devotion, repentance, training. Those who meditate even once wipe away beginningless crimes. Where are all the confused paths then? The pure land itself is near. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature, self-nature that is no nature, nature, go far beyond any doctrine. How boundless and free is the natural sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes, this very place, the lotus land, this very body, the Buddha. I said that already. So when the Buddha stopped, not only did he find a calm abiding sense of seclusion, he, he regained his, he reclaimed his, his heritage this capacity to see very clearly. And as he saw more clearly, he saw the flow of life right 
where it was touching him. And he saw that the world is moving and changing all the time. The body is changing. The moods are changing. The thoughts are changing. The politics are changing. That everything is in a state of flux. And when he saw this more clearly, and as we see it more clearly, we open to it, the reality of that, he naturally stopped holding on so tightly, stopped taking it so personally. And as he stopped taking things so personally and holding on so tightly, he started to feel better about being right where he was. He started to feel happy. Even though life has all these challenges and these things that are difficult to bear, that right in the middle of it, he felt this upsurge of joy. And this joy was called, in this case, the joy of equanimity. The joy of being able to sit in the middle of circumstances without being so reactive. It was, in this case, it was born of wisdom, born of clear perception. In this case, clear perception that everything changes. Clear perception that, that the fact that everything changes, that there's nothing and no experience in this world can give you lasting happiness. Any experience through the senses. Senses are to be enjoyed and and experienced and appreciated and to, to gladden your heart, but they, if you put, if you, if you apply um, too much faith in them, they will leave you dissatisfied. As, glor as glorious as the pleasures that we seek are in this world, as pleasurable as they are, they don't, they leave, they're not lasting and they leave in their wake a feeling of more dis-ease and dissatisfaction. So he saw this with wisdom, and we, we can see this if we just open our eyes. It's not, it's not so far away. It's, you can see it within your own body. Now, that's not what the advertising tells us. I just saw an advertisement in a magazine for, for this hotel in Las Vegas, and, it's, and the advertisement says, Pure Zen. <laughs> the Oriental Hotel pure Zen, and it's just, everything is just draped with, you know, as though that, you know, I'm sure one person's going to walk into that room and say, oh, it's not everything it's cracked up to be. And then you're there one night, and you have a great time, and you have some pleasant memories. But then, what does that leave in your mind? Oh, where's the next hotel I can go to that Promises, liber promises nirvana, but lead leads to dissatisfaction. So this was through wisdom. The Buddha also found this equanimity through love. He saw that the natural expression of awakening is goodwill. When you're no longer preoccupied with your own internal world, you see that there's really not much 
you can't find any real separation between your world and everyone else's, that we are all in this together. You see through your own self-illusions, you also see through the illusions of others. And so it becomes clear from that awakened state that there's, that, that no one's really apart from you. That means anyone that enters into your experience. That means there is an equality of, of a world, of a universe that we share. We're all sharing the same soup. And that we, even though we may be, have so many differences, we are so bound to each other. And when we put anyone out, when we mistakenly view anyone as apart from us, really, in that ultimate sense, we end up not only causing that person or that group suffering, but we cause ourselves suffering. And so in the Buddha's teaching, he said, extend, keep this, this is the awakened state, is a complete impartiality to your love. No one left out. No group that is any less deserving of loving kindness than any other. No person, no sex, no religion, no race, no, no orientation. Nobody is different in that field of love. Everyone is deserving of loving kindness. And especially yourself, we tend to leave ourselves out. And so his, his way, of, of way of equanimity was to keep extending, extending our love to people who we most easily feel loving kindness to, then extend it to people who've helped us in our life, then people who we normally don't notice, who are somehow left out of our field of goodwill. Somehow we can even... And this is, I think, this may be the most important thing that we do. That we come out of, take our, our own little individual group, race, whatever it is, blindness that we have, and open our eyes to realize that there are so many people with so many unique experiences and differences. And some people are left out of the circle of care in this world. Some people are actively thwarted in their educations, in their livelihoods, and their freedom to move and keep opening. And so his, his teaching said, just keep expanding your love, and boy, you'll, see, you'll feel a lot of pain because of the lack of love, that because of people's confusion and they're running and that will tenderize you because it will lead to compassion when that love that you feel meets pain and when you see all the people who are happy in this world it will you will grow in the capacity to to feel sympathetic and altruistic joy <coughs> be happy that other people are happy but when you begin to extend to those groups that you've left out or you haven't noticed before or you haven't liked, you start dealing with the difficult 
people in your life. Your loving kindness will extend to such extent, can extend to such an extent, that you will feel the great love, the great expression of love called impartial love, equanimity. And that equanimity, that balance of that equal love can allow you to sit in any group with any person in any situation and be a courageous advocate and be quiet, be balanced, be resilient. And this is natural to us. This quality of equanimity the quality of resilience, the quality of peace are unconditional qualities that every human being has. And it's just a matter of turning toward them, turning them on. And boy, do we need equanimity in this world. We need to be able to deal with traffic, bosses, co-workers, neighbors, family members. My daughter just turned 13. She's starting to have some attitude, and it's challenging. I'm, I'm thinking also, I just came home from leading this retreat, and I shouldn't say this out loud, but my wife's getting sick of me going away. I have to have some equanimity with that, be able to listen to the experience that she has. How many people do, how, how well do we listen to other people and not get immediately reactive or defensive. This is why, it, this, is, this is the quality, this is the, the state of the heart of our time that we have to cultivate so that we can do the work of expanding our circle of affection. Making sure that we leave nobody out of our heart, including the most toxic politicians. that we have the understanding of karma and how things came together, understanding of the sea of interdependence and circumstances. We can really love. Anyway, I'll just say that on this level of equanimity with the world the way it is, I shouldn't be sitting any higher than anybody else right here, even though I, we, I do it for the purpose of seeing you. But I'm really, I'm really down below. And for this one, the whole Sangha is the, is the guru. We are each other's teachers, and I am so much in a state of learning how to be equanimous in the world of so many haters that are so out, and how to, how to not be blind in my own way, because I have, I'm shrouded by all kinds of confusion from, you know, living my particular life. and So we're all down here together working on this. So may all beings grow in equanimity, serenity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less reactivity at home and in the community. And uh, may all beings be liberated and aim your heart for this, the highest happiness of touching that peace that cannot be shaken by any circumstances. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.